From bell to bell and post to post. We got a big battle in front of us, baby. It is just stopped. So let's get fucking like a monkey. Working the territories on the Northwest Coast. Who wants to walk with Elias? You're listening to Wrestle Central. Give me a hell yeah. On Sportsnet 650. You got journalism for that. With Justin Morissette. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. It is another week in the world of pro wrestling, which means it's another week for us here at Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. Like the man told you, my name is Justin Morissette, and it's a post-pay-per-view edition of the program this evening, and it's uh, making me a little bit nostalgic here, in fact, because Wrestle Central, uh, well, it, it... It celebrated a birthday about 12 days ago, the one-year anniversary of our very first show here on the 650 Airwaves. I celebrated a birthday this past Friday myself as well, but that's neither here nor there. It got me thinking about doing the show last year because I do believe Extreme Rules 2019 was our first post-pay-per-view review show for the show last year, and I do believe I came on here and absolutely torched that pay-per-view from top to bottom. That was, of course, uh, the show that ended with a mixed tag match. Uh, Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch, both babyfaces at the time, competing against Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans. Doesn't it feel like a lifetime ago? I did not particularly enjoy the 2019 edition of Extreme Rules, as you may remember. And folks, I am here tonight to tell you that I did not much care for the 2020 version either. But hey, if you liked this show more than I did, and I know there are people out there who did enjoy some of the goofy things that went on on this program, well, you are free to have your say. We are live and interactive every single week here on the program, for the most part anyways. I might... uh, you know, take a vacation at some point and pre-tape something maybe, but I like to do this live. I like to interact with the people, and you can uh, interact in a couple of different ways. I suppose you can get at me on Twitter. I'm at Justin Morris, the station, of course, at Sportsnet 650. You can hit the Sportsnet 650 text line, 650-650, the number to text in to do just that, or you can give me a call and share your thoughts on the pay-per-view that you watched this evening. If you have any thoughts on the pay-per-view that you watched this evening, 604-280-0650, the number to dial there. And uh, already got a text in on the text line already here. Uh, I, I will get to it a little bit later because, of course, my my old friend Aldo Montoya, I think he is just an incredible listener, uh, texts in every week. He's got some thoughts on the pay-per-view this evening. I'm going to share my thoughts a little bit first before I get into uh, you know uh, listener texts. But again, if you want to be like Aldo Montoya, you can jump in the queue and I will interact with every single thing that you guys send on in. 650-650 is the number to text. But of course it is the Night of Extreme Rules 2020. That's the pay-per-view we are all here here to discuss so let's get right to it shall we it's wrestle central on sportsnet 650 the show opened this evening with kevin owens perennial favorite of yours truly anyways defeating buddy murphy now just going by murphy in the only match on the pre-show this ran about eight minutes and 55 seconds and i liked it it was a totally fine totally uh acceptable a uh, television match, basically. Hard hard to say, you know, what uh, distinguished it relative to what we expect from pay-per-view matches in the COVID era. But what do you know? We're starting on the pre-show, and I've already got somebody on the phone line. Caller, you're on the air. What's the your name and where are you calling from? Hi. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. What's your name where are you calling from? Oh, hi. Uh, this is, yeah, my name is Jake, and I'm calling all the way from Chicago, Illinois. Oh, my goodness, Jake. Thank you for the call. <laughs> yeah, thank, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I listen to a bunch of uh, wrestling radio shows uh, here in the U.S. and in Canada as well, so I just just want to call in, and, um, yeah, uh, I was not a huge fan of the show tonight, so let's just you know, get, that, get that out of the way first. <laughs> me neither. And I, were you looking forward to this as a pay-per-view coming into the night? Because to me, I felt the build on this was pretty lackluster. I feel like main roster TV in general has been pretty lacking, save for maybe the Bray Braun storyline, which I really loved on TV but was not feeling tonight. Jake, where did they lose you this evening? 
Well, I well, I was so looking forward, and I, I really loved uh, what the ba- with uh, what Bailey and Sasha have been doing for the past few weeks. I think they've been tremendous. But uh, you know, they've it, it had some great wrestling in the ring. But I just say that uh, well, uh, I, they got to rename the show. It's like Extreme Rules, the horrible fish show, because <laughs> it was you know just lackluster finishes and it did, did not make the talent uh, any good, in my opinion, and. Uh, yeah, and then also for the for the for the main event, the swamp match, uh, uh, <laughs> the, the swamp fight. I, I think they're just treading on what on the uh, the six of the boneyard match back in WrestleMania. And I don't know, like, uh, was this for the WWE Universal Championship? I remember. Jake, I think I'm losing you here. You're breaking up a little bit, but uh, I, I can't uh, I can't quite make out what your question was going to be there, but I do want to respond to some stuff that you were saying because you do bring up some very good points. What I was going to say when we get a little bit later in the card here as I try to break it down in sequential order, I'll just share my thoughts right now on Seth Rollins versus Rey Mysterio, for example, uh, a match that uh, had a terrible stipulation, a stipulation that I felt did this show no favors uh, from the outset, essentially, um, but, you know, like, within the match itself, there was some great wrestling there. You have Seth Rollins going head-to-head with Rey Mysterio, an absolute master. Seth Rollins, one of the best, or should be one of the best going in the business today, even if he's not always consistently hitting at that level. There was some really great in-ring stuff there, but that match was just absolutely ruined by its stipulation and its goofy finish. And uh, thank you for the call, Jake, in Chicago. I do appreciate that. We are international here on Wrestle Central, folks. Wouldn't you know it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just felt there was some very good wrestling on this show, especially in the women's matches, as Jake mentioned as well, that just got undercut by goofy booking, essentially. That was my take as well on uh, the Asuka versus Sasha Banks match, but we'll get there in just a second. Kevin Mur- Owens beating Buddy Murphy in a completely perfunctory match. I kind of wanted to see Murphy get the victory personally this evening uh if only because he could use it and kevin owens is kind of in a spot where it doesn't really hurt him to uh you know maybe not come up with the win all the time perhaps i mean he's winning in and out of the ring at the moment we knew kevin owens i think by and large as a fan base uh when it was announced that a wrestler had pressed internally uh for uh people in the performance center to be wearing masks and protecting themselves from COVID-19. The news came out that someone had pushed for that, that it was a wrestler who had started that initiative. A lot of people speculated that that must be Kevin Owens, just given how uh, safe he has tried to be throughout this pandemic and stepping away from tapings at times if he didn't feel like the precautions being taken uh, were uh, up to snuff, for example. Uh, He was confirmed to be the, the man behind that. Change. So Kevin Owens picking up a win on the pre-show this evening, but uh, picking up a win in real life as well. A good, uh, a good Canadian kid, as uh, of course a certain uh, jacketed hockey commentator used to like to say. Our first match of the show itself, as we get into the main card here, it's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. And uh, you can get at the show, of course, in a couple of different ways. 650-650 is the text line. The phone number, if you want to give me a call, 604-280-0650. Be like Jake and Chicago and have your say on the air. Uh, Match number one of the main card, we have new tag team champions in the SmackDown tag division anyway. Uh, Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura. I'm not sure if they're still going by the Artist Collective. That was kind of the name of that group when it was being fronted by Sami Zayn, but... Uh, uh, I mean, they're trying not even to reference Sami Zayn, I guess, at the moment, because he should be Intercontinental Champion right now, and he is not. He is uh, has not been seen since WrestleMania. Uh, Sami Zayn, another guy, just like Kevin Owens, two good Montreal boys who are taking COVID-19 as it pertains to wrestling extremely seriously. But uh, his former stablemates, if we have not seen Sami Zayn, we did see his goons, as it were, in Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura pick up a victory over the New Day. Big E and Kofi Kingston dropping the blue tag belts in 10 minutes and 25 seconds. I thought this result was actually very surprising. The New Day just rolled out brand new T-shirts, stressing that they are eight-time champions. Uh, You know... I don't want to say that uh, um, you know uh, global politics should influence booking necessarily, but it did feel very good uh, given what is going on right now in the United States as far as 
you know, uh, racial tensions and and trying to affect change within uh, society in the uh, uh, you know in the U.S. to see that so many of the champions within WWE were, if not black, then people of color, and it was surprising to me, honestly, to see Kofi and Big E drop the belts here, but. Maybe there's some dissolution brewing between the New Day. I know that they are an act that some people never want to see broken up ever under any circumstances that those guys should stay together as a unit uh, for as long as possible. I know that that is how a lot of people feel. But I do ask you, is now not the time for perhaps a Big E singles push when you have so many big boys, so many hosses at the top of the card on SmackDown, whether that's a Bray Wyatt or a Braun Strowman or, you know, even a guy like Otis, who's currently Mr. Money in the Bank. He's no slouch as far as physicality goes. I do think you throw Big E Langston or just Big E now, I guess, into that mix that that is a very tantalizing prospect. The question is, can you do it while keeping them together? Can you do it while Kofi has his back the way Big E had Kofi's during his run with the title last year. I hope you can. In fact, I've spoken to Big E on this very program about exactly that, and I don't have the clip to pull up and play for you right now. If I was better prepared, I would. But no, you have to take me at my word that when I spoke to Big E on this very topic at SummerSlam last year in Toronto, he did talk about the fact that even as a trio, the three of those guys never want to be split up, never want to be, uh, you know, <laughs> taken apart the way the way we're used to seeing in pro wrestling. This is how tag teams work. This is how factions work. You build up a group together so that the emotional bond they form can be the emotional root of whatever heartache you come up with uh, when you break the team up. So, I mean, that was the impetus behind the shield, essentially. And that's kind of been, I think, what a lot of people have been thinking might happen with the New Day for years, but the longer it doesn't happen, the more we forget about it, and then it kind of pops up again. I don't know. I don't know. I really love the finish to this match, though. My goodness, what a spot. In the end, just outrageous stuff from Kofi Kingston. He was going for a Hurricane Rana through two tables stacked on the outside. Was going to flip Cesaro off the turnbuckle. Instead, Cesaro, with a spot of sheer strength, is able to prevent himself from getting uh, caught in the Rana and, in fact, catches Kofi, lifts him back up with an assist from uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, instead does a diving powerbomb through two tables. Uh, Bubba Ray Dudley would be proud. That is the finish in the table match, and we have new tag team champions. Kind of exciting for, uh, I think, Shinsuke and Cesaro. They are a very good fit and compelling duo, but I also just wish that... Man, Cesaro needs a singles run at some point here, doesn't he? Like, speaking of guys to come out hot with singles pushes out the gate, uh, you know, if they were to uh, lose the tag titles. This is what I wanted for Cesaro when the bar broke up. And instead, Sheamus got that push and Cesaro got nothing, really. So... I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I'm willing to see where this goes, but I, I just kind of get the feeling that this only happened because WWE wanted at least one title change to take place on this pay-per-view that was real because, as we will discover, the uh, the title changes coming up on the show that I have to tell you about uh, might be fake. And I know that everything is fake in wrestling, but you know what I mean. These are False finishes that will be overturned, results that you cannot count on. It is Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. We are talking about tonight's WWE Extreme Rules pay-per-view, the horror show at Extreme Rules, and what a horror show it was. I know I've been pretty positive on it so far because this did have some good matches in the early going. Things uh, looked pretty good through the first couple here, and that does continue, actually. Into match number three, Bailey, the SmackDown Women's Champion, accompanied by Sasha Banks, defeating Nikki Cross with Alexa Bliss by her side. This match ran 12 minutes and 20 seconds. Felt a little longer, but not in a bad way, honestly. I was kind of very much into the storytelling of this match and was very impressed by the ring work of both of these ladies as well. I think there has been a benefit, honestly, of removing Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch from the top title pitchers of you know both shows 
as Charlotte is off nursing an injury and Becky is off becoming a mother, uh, you are opening room at the top of the card for women who, you know, might be better wrestlers than Becky Lynch or Charlotte. And I know that that sounds crazy because Charlotte is one of the best women's wrestlers of all time, but I happen to think Sasha Banks is even better. And Asuka is a great in-ring hand as well. And those two combined probably better than anything you're going to get from a Becky Lynch match. Bless her soul. I absolutely love Becky Lynch. Thinks she's got more charisma than just about anyone in the business today. But a a ring general, she is not. And I wouldn't think that that Bailey was one either. But she has had the opportunity to kind of put her strengths on display lately as well. And in this match, that was certainly the case. Nikki Cross, someone that I think we all know is a good hand, but it maybe gets forgotten just because she hasn't had the opportunity to shine on the main roster the way that she did back in NXT, where, for example, she had that outstanding last woman standing match with Asuka for the NXT women's title. Uh, She's had some great matches during her WWE run, but again, most of them, In the black and gold brand, very few of them on the main roster. This was a very fine showing for Nikki Cross tonight. And I really like the way these characters kind of play off of each other because in a lot of ways, they are the same. Uh, Nikki is playing that same sort of precocious child who is just thrilled to be here that Bailey did when she arrived on the main roster. And, uh, you know, her kid-friendly character from NXT got tweaked into being kind of a literal kid, essentially. Uh, You know, someone who uh, was just in awe of everyone that they were running into and, you know, just stopping short of kind of asking for autographs in the locker room area. I mean, heck, she was she was wearing a backpack more often than not on television. So uh, it's not that they didn't want to present her as kind of a child. Nikki Cross is that same story, this innocent new face who doesn't quite believe in herself just yet and to pair her off against someone like Bailey who has been that character before and is now the hardened cynical version of it heel Bailey has just been a revelation I think she's so entertaining I think she's really found her voice as a promo which is the one thing she was never good at as a baby face, you know, she was an identifiable character for children because they could see themselves in her, but she was never really good at getting that across on the mic. She was just good at playing that character in matches. She's found something right now, this heel character that's just working for her on every level. I think her matches have been very strong, and I think her promos have been tremendous. And of course, it helps when you have Sasha Banks to play off of on that front, but uh, Bailey is really holding her own here. And I love it. I love this iteration of the character. Keep this going for as long as possible. It felt like a desperation move when they pulled the trigger on turning her heel. It's been a complete salvation for her as a performer on the main roster. But she retains there, uh, beating Nikki Cross through help from Sasha Banks. Banks uh, giving Bailey uh, one of her like legit boss brass knucks for a power punch to the gut that knocked Nikki out for the one, two, three. And you kind of had an idea that that would set the stage for later in the evening for, uh, you know, Bailey to try and interfere on Sasha's behalf and have it all go wrong. That is not what happened. Uh, But I'll tell you what did happen in just a second here. It's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. We are talking about Extreme Rules 2020, and you can have your say uh, on the text line at 650-650 or by giving me a call. Like Jake in Chicago did. 604-280-0650, the number to dial there. Text from Aldo Montoya. My boy Aldo says, what's up, Justin? Uh, a so-so show. Owens versus Murphy and the tag title match were good. Ridiculous finishes for Banks, Asuka, and Ray Rollins. And poor Ziggler got punked. The true horror show in Florida tonight was the Whitecaps game. <laughs> I like the Swamp Fight and most of the cinema-style presentations so far. In your opinion, should the North American feds continue with cinematic matches in the post-pandemic era? I'd like to see them continue. That's a text from Aldo Montoya, and you can be just like Aldo by texting in at 650-650. Aldo, you know what? I'm going to say I do hope that the cinematic matches continue in the post-COVID era. I don't know how they would play necessarily in the building. Like, if you bought a ticket to go to a pay-per-view, and heck, that might not be far-fetched for us here in Vancouver. I mean, who knows, but, you know, we did kind of set an attendance record back on Valentine's Day, and uh, (laughs) and we should be in line for a pay-per-view, you would think, the way that show went. 
but, uh, you know, we, who knows? Who knows? Uh, we would probably be the safest place to hold one, too, if they did want to have something with a crowd. If Dr. Bonnie Henry would let that happen is another question altogether. But, uh, yeah, I don't know how it would play if you were in the audience to watch something like that necessarily. But it, it is compelling, I think, for the home audience. I wasn't feeling tonight's cinematic match necessarily. I thought this was one of the weaker entries in the genre, if not the weakest. Um, but I do think that, you know, if it's something that you go to sparingly and not something that you over-rely on, yeah, I do have a ton of interest in watching these things continue. I have another call on the line. Uh, caller, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Scott from North End. Scott in North End. You watched the show this evening. What would you think? Uh, it had its moments of, I would say, some creative brilliance and a lot of boring snooze fest segments. Okay, well, what did you like then? Because I'm mostly sour on the show tonight myself. Um, I like the the Oscar match. To be perfectly honest, I mean, there wasn't really a whole lot to like about it. In my opinion, it felt like they were kind of putting lipstick on a pig. Anyway, you kind of you kind of cut it like it. I'm I'm getting I'm kind of getting a little tired of the cinematic matches. I mean, it works for certain guys. I just found that whole swamp thing to be. I don't know, I just didn't have good storytelling, if that makes sense. Yeah, Scott, my kind of impression on the the Swamp fight tonight is that, like, you know, for the most part, and I know you could probably point at the Firefly Funhouse match at WrestleMania and say that that wasn't really a match either, um, but that was kind of more of a cerebral exploration of John Cena as a character and his entire history with WWE and what the Cena feud meant to Wyatt specifically. So I actually loved that match at Mania. Whereas tonight, to me anyways, I didn't feel like we got a match this evening. I felt like we got a prolonged preview for the third match we're going to get between these two with The Fiend taking on Braun at SummerSlam. That was kind of my vibe on uh, the main event this evening. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. It just felt like, to be to be honest, the card felt like filler. I mean, there was the Bobby Lashley thing that to me made no sense. There was the eye for an eye match. Like it just it just seemed like a very kind of hastily put together pay per view. And you know, like you said, it's all building for SummerSlam. It's kind of one of those. I, I don't know what your take is on this, Justin, but I always feel like between the big, the core big four pay per views. Often there's like that filler pay-per-view, and that's what tonight felt like to me. Oh, yeah, and this probably the most glaringly so, especially when you contrast it with, you know, not even just AEW, but NXT, both like stressing that their their television of late is pay-per-view caliber. Uh, you know, I was kind of dubious on that claim a little bit uh, in the first weeks of Great American Bash and Fighter Fest, but when you compare it to an actual pay-per-view this evening, I don't think it's any question AEW television on Wednesday nights blew tonight's pay-per-view out of the water. Oh, 100%. 100% it mopped the floor of tonight's broadcast. 100%. Uh, where do you fall on this question that I got uh, on the text line from Aldo Montoya um, about cinematic matches? I know you said you're getting tired of them, but would you like to see them continue uh, when uh, things get back to normal here, potentially? I, I would, but I, I preface that with a bit of an asterisk in the sense, like, I like how they did the Undertaker thing. Like, it's got to be the right characters in the right setup. Yeah, and Bray does feel like the right character in a lot of ways. It just, to me, tonight, it didn't work. And I don't know how to fix it, honestly. There was really good stuff in it. The Alexa Bliss stuff, where she was, I guess, the corporeal form of Sister Abigail. I have no idea. But uh, whatever that was supposed to be, uh, that was a great use of continuity and a callback and something that felt consistent with Braun's character. I loved that segment of it, but... I don't know. I, I literally, like, when the pay-per-view logo came up in the bottom of the screen, which was a fake-out tonight, obviously. There was still a surprise afterwards. But when that logo popped up on the screen tonight, Scott, I literally just said, like, what? Out loud. Because, like, what was the last five minutes of that thing tonight? I honestly couldn't even see what was happening. Oh, I couldn't see that. I, I watch uh, the pay-per-views with a bunch of buddies, and we were all kind of looking at each other, you know, couple expletives were dropped kind of like are you kidding me like two and a half hours you're used to these things usually running like you know close to three hours and it just felt like it was filler yeah yeah and that's been the case with a lot of these honestly which i think is by design scott i think they are doing this on purpose 
as far as uh, a lot of these, you know, quarantine pay-per-views with no audience, keeping the runtime sure. to about 220, maybe 235 on the high end. And uh, I, I mean, I've said this before on the show, but I'll say it again tonight because I thought it was true tonight. I honestly don't mind that because if they're going to roll out some original, uh, you know, documentary or whatever, something that's compelling and worth watching on the network after the fact. I watched that last ride, you know, Tales from the Dead Man thing tonight. And if that show was four hours long, I probably wouldn't have. Oh, I agreed. I mean, I thought that was honestly part of the, the, the better part of the, the pay-per-view. I just think that it's got to come down to, you know, like it just, the problem I have with the WWE and why I tend to go more the AEW route is the storylines to me seem to be getting stale in the WWE. Like it's the same guys that get the push in the title picture. And then when you get new blood, like a Drew McIntyre or whomever, it seems like they get their brief, you know, five minutes of fame. And then they get pushed right down to the bottom of the barrel. And then, you know, Roman Reigns jumps right back into the title picture as soon as he comes back from COVID. Like, I just don't agree with that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's tough to to measure exactly what they should have done with Drew relative to what they have done. Because, I mean, obviously these quarantine shows are putting them in an impossible position, right? Like, there's, true, true. I think, I think Drew actually is a huge success story for them. I think all of the usual complaints that I levy against WWE, which is that they don't have their established guys lose ever, and they mm-hmm. don't put over new stars, and those two things kind of go hand in hand. This year, I mean, Brock Lesnar absolutely made Drew McIntyre. You know, he made him look like a million bucks. And he was doing it in front of live crowds, too, like before everything shut down. Obviously, Drew did not get to have his big moment in front of a live audience. And, you know, I think part of the reason that was given when uh, Paul Heyman was dismissed from the head of creative on Monday Night Raw was that Vince McMahon did not feel like he was getting new stars over. It's impossible to judge that when there's no audience. Like, I think people at home are reacting positively to Drew McIntyre. I feel like they would be reacting positively uh, in arenas. And I don't know if that, you know, if we had live crowds right now, Scott, if they would go ahead with some of these stale feuds like Bobby Lashley or like Dolph Ziggler, because you're right, you know, you do get into these doldrum months that are in between the big four pay-per-views, and a lot of it does feel like filler, but even right now, like some of the stuff that they would do in filler months, they might still be hanging on to that for when crowds come back, because you can't burn through all of your top material with uh, nobody there to actually react to it on some level. No, that's true, that's true. Uh, I appreciate the call tonight, Scott. Thank you so much, and uh, enjoy the rest of the program, hopefully more than you enjoyed Extreme Rules. Well, I'm looking forward to SummerSlam. <laughs> you and me both, though. It feels Sorry, bizarre. Buddy, take it, easy. it feels bizarre that it has been a year since I was in Toronto for SummerSlam last year. Time has just lost all meaning, I feel like, here in COVID quarantine. <laughs> it feels forever ago, but it also feels like so recent. Uh I want to get back to breaking down this pay-per-view. I have some more thoughts to share on AEW television that I got into it there with Scott as well because I thought Fight for the Fallen was uh, really quite strong this week. And I've got, of course, about half of this pay-per-view left to discuss as well. we got to take a break and pay some bills. We'll be back, however, with more Wrestle Central. You're listening to the home of professional wrestling on the radio in Vancouver. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. yourself up off the mat it's time for more wrestle central on sportsnet 650 with justin morissette whose new theme song is this is it bailey's is it seth rollins can anyone tell them apart is it just me this is of course the new theme for the the monday night messiah seth rollins uh, though it does sound an awful lot like Bailey's new heel theme as well. It is Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. We are talking about Extreme Rules 2020 WWE's pay-per-view from this evening. Of course, you can have your say as well. The show is live and interactive. 
650-650 is the Sportsnet 650 text line. You can get at me that way. Shoot me a tweet, perhaps, at Justin Morris. That's one R and one S. The station is at Sportsnet 650. Or you can jump on the phone lines. Give me a call. 604-280-0650. And at the rate we're receiving calls this evening, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to break down the entirety of this pay-per-view card myself. But it's back to the phone boards we go where Phil in Victoria, you've got thoughts on the pay-per-view you watched tonight, Phil. Yeah, definitely. Uh, how are you doing today, Justin? I uh, hope you're doing well. Good, you. Uh, thanks for listening. I appreciate you calling in. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's like a huge fan of the show for about the past year and the uh, first time caller, obviously. So, yeah, doing well. Um, yeah, for me, I would say it's a thumbs in the middle show. Uh, like, you know, um, uh, definitely wasn't high on the on the main events, obviously, with the swap match. It was kind of weird. And obviously some of the finishes were really overbooked and uh, just sometimes too chaotic at some certain aspects. Uh, you know, it, it was weird, uh, during the swamp, uh, the swamp match, like, was it, was it, uh, was the WWE universal title on the line? Uh, because I was wondering if they even mentioned that. No, I'm, I don't think they did Phil, And that is a very good question. As I look at the card right now, uh, on Wikipedia, it was not slated as a title match. And you know, what's curious actually, where this first came to my attention was uh, one of those, I guess, WWE news slams with your buddy, your pal, Scott Stanford, during the commercial breaks on uh, either Monday Night Raw or SmackDown on Sportsnet 360 here over the last couple weeks. Scott Stanford specified on that uh, little commercial break news update thing that it was a non-title match, and you're right. It did not get mentioned at any point on the show this evening, which is kind of a weird detail, personally, I think. Okay, it's going to be interesting how they're going to address it uh, in the next uh, in the next couple of SmackDowns that are coming up. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, just uh, before I go, um, uh, because I know that you, uh, you have to break down the cards, so I don't want to keep you. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I, I I appreciate it. I'd rather be talking with you. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, do we have um, any uh, any uh, idea on a timetable of when Edge is going to come back? Because I would love to see that uh, combination with Randy Orton. Uh, I I think they were hoping that he would be good to go again for uh, SummerSlam, obviously. But the timeline for that third match, as far as you know, capping that Edge Orton trilogy at the moment appears to be WrestleMania next year. And I don't know if that would mean that Edge is going to be ready to come back for the Rumble and perhaps wins the Rumble because I did read uh, in the Wrestling Observer newsletter, tip of the cap to Dave Meltzer, of course, that uh, that is kind of the internal conversation right now is making Orton WWE champion, uh, having him take the belt off of Drew, I suppose, at some point down the line, uh, possibly on the night of the Rumble. And then Edge would win the Rumble, essentially, and that would be your your big match for Mania next year. Obviously, though, impossible to say what's going to happen because, I mean, even the SummerSlam card plans for next month are being torn up right now. And why not? Like, how do you possibly plan something at the moment when, you know, we saw tonight a match, the next match that I have to talk about here, Phil, MVP uh, defeating Apollo Crews by forfeit because Apollo Crews has COVID-19 and couldn't be on the show. Like, you literally do not know when you're going to lose someone, how long you're going to lose them for, and who it will be. So how do you plan anything as far as big pay-per-view plans go right now. I mean, the company's just in an impossible position um, if they want to continue putting on shows, which they clearly yeah, do. Yeah, it's basically a no-win situation. So uh, I, I really feel for them. I, I feel like uh, some fans uh, got to give, give them some slack. And, uh, yeah, it's been up and down, but, uh, you know, I really appreciate, you know, their hearts and they continue to put on entertainment and all that. So, yeah, so I'll just leave you out with this. Uh, speaking of that, uh, I think the uh, the dream guest I would love to hear on this program is actually Dave Meltzer. So that would be, like, the ultimate guest I would, I would love. So, all right, so I appreciate it, man, and hope you have a good night. You too, Phil. I appreciate the call, man. Thank you very much. And I should say, I did reach out to Dave Meltzer after the SmackDown show here in Vancouver on Valentine's Day because he, of course, had written that uh, WWE had not had a bigger crowd uh, as far as arena shows go, discounting, of, co- of course, when they played giant baseball stadiums and the Saudi Arabia shows as well, uh, that they had not had a crowd bigger than the one that they got here uh, in Vancouver. And I was hoping to talk to Dave about that and just uh, you know the history of Vancouver as a market and so on, etc. I did not hear back from him, but I would imagine that he receives thousands of emails every single day. So we will keep trying, I will tell you. I am hoping 
to get Dave Meltzer on this program at some point. I would love to speak with him. And of course, if you want to speak with me like Phil in Victoria just did, you can reach me on the text line at 650-650 or give me a call as well, 604-280-0650. But as I just mentioned to Phil in Victoria, MVP in what was going to be a title versus title match, the you know one true United States champion versus the imposter claiming to be one, uh, this match did not happen because Apollo Crews uh, was forced to surrender due to forfeit due to COVID-19. Of course, that's not what they said on the show. The explanation given was that ever since Apollo got put in the full Nelson of Bobby Lashley, he has not felt quite right. And so he could not compete due to injury because Bobby was just too rough on him. Uh, I thought this segment was complete nonsense. I thought this was ridiculous. Uh, just to have this thing end this way for MVP to jump out of the ring, grab his belt, run back in and appoint himself champion and then and then leave. You know, if you're going to do a segment like this, you would think that another undercard babyface could perhaps run out and stop the heel from running his mouth in this way. That did not happen. This was an extremely short segment and a kind of a nonsense segment, in my opinion. But what I skipped over here was probably my favorite thing that happened on the entire show. After Bailey defeated Nikki Cross, we got a promo segment from Bray Wyatt, and this was... Everything I love about Bray Wyatt. This was, uh, you know, it felt like an interstitial scene shot uh, that you would see kind of during uh, or a bookending commercial breaks on, uh, let's say, like uh, like a cable broadcast of a horror movie back in the 90s, like a dinner and a movie sort of deal. It, you know, uh, it had that sort of made-for-TV um, vibe to it as Bray Wyatt played kind of Dracula telling a horror story in a black-and-white presented uh, horror version, classic, spooky, 50s kind of horror uh, with the bubbling chemistry set, so on, etc. And he gave a promo that actually made sense and had stakes and was about real things and drew on the lengthy history of the character and his relationship with Braun Strowman. You know, this is the sort of stuff that we are looking for in wrestling storytelling all the time. We got it in this promo. You know, this was the complaint about Braun Strowman when he was in those interminable feuds with Seth Rollins and Finn Balor back before they basically nuked the character and made him a comedy goof with Matt Hardy so long ago. He would just talk and talk and talk and he would have the cadence of a heel uh, and it would sound like a promo, but the actual content of it would be nonsense and entirely possible or impossible rather to glom onto. There would be nothing to hang on to in what he was saying because it didn't make any sense. I thought uh, this was the opposite of that. I loved this promo from Bray. I thought it was absolutely masterful stuff and kind of uh, the opposite of what we would see from him later on in the night in the Wyatt Swamp fight, unfortunately. Uh, but that brings us to the eye for an eye match, Seth Rollins versus Rey Mysterio. Uh, the match can only be won when one competitor extracts an eye of their opponent. What a stupid, stupid stipulation. What an impossibly dumb stip. You know, the kind of thing that is just indefensible when people make fun of you for liking wrestling. How do you counter that when you see a match like this? What a stupid stipulation that, that ruined what was actually not a bad match overall when it was actually about wrestling and not about trying to gouge weapons into somebody's face. You know, I said it earlier when I was talking to a caller in the opening segment. How can you not have good wrestling when it's Seth Rollins taking on Rey Mysterio? There was really, really good stuff in this, but it was ruined by the stupidest stipulation I've ever heard of. Maybe even dumber than Judy Bagwell on a pole. Because trying to gouge your opponent's eye out goes far beyond the limit of believability when it comes to uh, suspension of disbelief in pro wrestling. For me personally. Maybe for you it doesn't. Maybe when, uh, you know, Mox was wearing an eye patch earlier this year when he was doing an eye for an eye thing with Santana and Ortiz in AEW, maybe you loved that. Maybe you thought that was uh, classic Mox. And in the end, John Moxley was just pretending to have suffered an eye injury, which kind of redeems the overall plot there because that's my problem with this. You know, if you uh, tear a tendon in your arm, if you uh, break a bone in your leg, if you suffer any number of pro wrestling-related injuries that are real, you will heal from those injuries by and large. You know, people do suffer career-ending injuries in the ring. That does happen. But for the most part... 
injuries suffered in the ring are something you can bounce back from and heal from and be 100% and, uh, you know, get your spring back in your step, all that sort of stuff. You do not heal from getting stabbed in the eyeball. That has not happened. That's not real. You know, his tonight the match ended with Rey Mysterio's eyeball dangling out of his skull. It was in his hand. Seth Rollins saw it and he puked on the floor. He threw up beside the ring. And I'm sure a lot of people who watched the match, watched the show in general this evening, kind of felt like throwing up as well, especially if they had paid pay-per-view prices for it, like what things used to cost back in the day. Do you remember when pay-per-views, to watch a show like tonight, you'd dish out $60 to watch it? Can you imagine how you would feel about that this evening? <laughs> Instead, we just pay a monthly fee for the WWE Network and call it a day. But uh, probably for the best when you see a show like this, and especially a match like this. This was so silly. And, and the commentators, look, I know you have to get on with the show and get back to normal and talk about things uh, as they happen and what's happening in front of you. But like, for example... Samoa Joe, during the Asuka and Sasha Banks match, which comes next on this card, sees Sasha put Asuka into a submission hold that wrenches her arms. And Joe, you know, not to rip on him or, or make fun of him, because I do think he is actually very, very good at this whole commentary thing. Joe said something along the lines of, Oh, that's torture, Tom. No, it's not, Joe. You just saw a man's eye get clawed out. What are you talking about? Um, so, I mean, that's kind of a problem with it, too. Not only is it beyond the realm of believability, it, it you know, not to make a pun here, given it was, that it was Ray's eye hanging out of his face, but that eye then hangs over the rest of the show. How do you go back to watching a normal wrestling match and not think about the fact that you just watched a guy's eye get clawed out. Uh, like I, I never want to see this stipulation again. And Seth Rollins was like bragging on Twitter earlier this week about how, oh, this is, this is long-term storytelling. I said an eye for an eye to Rey Mysterio on an episode of Raw back in December, but shh, that would tip off that we know what we're doing with our stories around here. Get out of here. If you knew seven months ago, eight months ago, that you were going to do an eye for an eye match, that's not great storytelling. That's on you for not doing everything in your power to stop this match from happening. Because, you know, MVP Apollo Crews, that match didn't happen because uh, of COVID, because Apollo has it, apparently. Uh, <laughs> I wish... I wish, you know, not that I wish that either of the two gentlemen in that eye for an eye match got COVID-19, but if there was, I don't know, maybe uh, an, uh, an incomplete test or they had to wait on results, anything to pull this match from this card, I thought it was so spectacularly silly. It is Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. We are talking tonight about WWE Extreme Rules 2020, the horror show at Extreme Rules, and we go from there into Asuka, the Raw Women's Champion, taking on Sasha Banks. Uh, Kyrie Sane out to cheer on Asuka, Bailey out to cheer on Sasha Banks. This match ran 20 minutes. It was the longest match on the card, and it was in a spot that, uh, you know, should be a difficult spot to follow up that very, very silly I versus an I match. Before we got this match, though, we got a wonderful promo from Bailey backstage where she said she hopes Rey Mysterio's vision isn't damaged because no he's not seeing double she is still Bailey dose belts which I thought was just so good especially in comparison to I think Tom Phillips on the commentary table uh, saying that of course we hope that WWE or we hope that Rey Mysterio has not suffered an injury that will uh, have an effect on his on his life long term. His eye was dangling out. Of course he's going to have... Oh, just this is... I'm going to keep circling back to this all night long unless I move on. So I have to do that. But I did want to compliment Bailey because very strong promo. 
leading into this Sasha Banks match, and Bailey would be very involved in the finish. This was a match that was extremely hard-hitting, and like I said earlier in the show, these are two women who are given the spotlight finally, that they do not have a Becky Lynch in front of them in the pecking order. They do not have a Charlotte in front of them in the pecking order. They are finally allowed to have that top spot and flex what they can do. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think there's anyone better overall at the full package in women's wrestling right now than Sasha Banks. So for her to be given this spot, I am all for it. Charlotte, take your time. Take as long as you need. Uh, Find your smile again, if that's what this is. Whatever needs to be done, stay away as long as you like, especially if it's going to give opportunities uh, for women like Asuka and for women like Sasha to shine like they did this evening. Because look, the finish of this match, as callers have alluded to throughout the evening, was ridiculous. But the match itself was great, and it was put in a position where this match had to be great. The entire fate of this pay-per-view kind of fell on the shoulders of this match. These two ladies had 20 minutes to go out there and save this show, because if this match didn't deliver, you would get a tune-out factor like nothing else. The internet was so down, and rightfully so, on that Seth and Ray match. So, you know, ultimately, it is what it is, but... A tough spot to put these ladies in. They ultimately completely delivered. This was hard-hitting. This was fast. This was everything that you've wanted from Sasha for years and we haven't gotten. And this is, you know, exactly the kind of thing that I love to harp on. That there are so many great talents in the ring, especially in WWE, that we don't get to appreciate the way that we should because that's not the way the main roster operates. You would routinely, in NXT, see Sasha Banks have matches that were upwards of 25 minutes. But on the main roster, that's not how things work. Unless you're in that main event slot, unless you are you know, a, a real top talent like a Daniel Bryan or an AJ Styles, and even those guys very rarely get time. You know, It's something that I brought up when I talked to Kevin Owens last year at SummerSlam when I brought up that classic, I think, is a classic Hell in a Cell match between him and Shane McMahon. Part of the reason that match is so memorable, part of the reason it's one of the best main events in WWE over the last five years, is that it was close to 40 minutes long. He actually had the time to tell a memorable story full of memorable story beats and escalating drama that leads to a very, very memorable finish. Very rarely do we get that because matches in WWE just don't get more than 13 or 14 minutes, generally speaking. This one did get 20, and they made the most of it, even if the finish was the most WCW thing anyone has seen in the last 20 years. It's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you did not see the end of this match this evening, it was the most overbooked finish imaginable. You saw in the foreground along the ring apron... Uh, Asuka get handed a little something-something by Kyrie Sane, which felt like a callback to earlier in the match when Bailey was handed a little something-something by Sasha Banks. That, of course, led to Bailey winning her match earlier in the night. This time, Asuka, however, uh, waits for a very long extended argument between Bailey and the referee. She grabs Bailey by the shoulder, turns her around, is about to spit the green mist in her face, but, or rather, yeah, it actually was Bailey in the ring, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Sasha, Bailey ducks out of the way, and it's green mist into the face of the official. And uh, some very, you know, big time cheating takes place. Uh, Bailey cracks Asuka in the back with a title belt and is going to drape Sasha on top of her for the cover. The official will not wake up. He cannot get the green mist out of his eyes, he cannot count the pin. So Sasha, or rather Bailey, takes the shirt right off his back, puts it on, and counts the three herself. She is not a referee. This is not a real finish. But the two-woman power trip in Sasha Banks and Bailey, the golden role models, as they are calling themselves, did leave the night with all of the belts. Uh, this one officially called an inconclusive match that WWE has ruled a no contest. That's officially the word. But if you ask Sasha Banks, she is the new Raw Women's Champion. And as callers have noted so far tonight, Bailey and Sasha have a very good thing going right now. Uh, and keep it going. Like, keep those tag belts on them for as long as you like. The fact that those ladies can appear on every single show right now is an absolute bonus to every show that they appear on. After that, we had our final 
real match of the evening. Drew McIntyre, your WWE champion, defeating Dolph Ziggler in a match that the stipulation was announced as the match began. And oh boy, did I think an eye for an eye was a stupid stipulation. This was an extreme rules match for Dolph Ziggler only. He was allowed to use weapons. Drew McIntyre, however, was not allowed to do anything. If Drew McIntyre was disqualified or counted out or lost in any single way, uh, Dolph Ziggler would have won the WWE Championship. That is not what happened. This match was long. Uh, not as long as you might think. Only 15 minutes and 25 seconds, but it felt pretty long, honestly. And uh, it ended with a claymore to, Drew, to Dolph Ziggler. And that's what Dolph is great for, you know? I still have some affection for Dolph because he sells like a million bucks. And he made the claymore look amazing after a lengthy match where he continued to try to beat Drew via countout, but was unsuccessful again and again and again. After that, just the swamp fight in the main event slot, Bray Wyatt pulling Braun Strowman into the water of the swamp uh, after we got the graphic in the corner saying that the show was over. Uh, the, the, the water then turning neon red, the color of the fiend, and it was the fiend who emerged from the water having drowned Bray Wyatt, I guess? I don't know. It didn't make sense to me. Uh, and he just laughed into camera as the show went off the air. Of course, a lot more stuff happened in that uh, swamp fight, but I feel like I've talked about it with callers over the course of the evening and do not have to go over it again. I didn't like it. Uh, it kind of put a sour note on what was already a mixed bag of a show. Some real great wrestling out of the gate. Kevin Owens and Murphy, Cesaro and Nakamura over the New Day. Even the women's matches, Bailey and Nikki Cross and Asuka and Sasha Banks, even if the latter had a goofy finish, there was some really good stuff on that show. But what was bad was really, really bad. I thought the MVP segment, even if it wasn't a match, was bad. I thought the Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio match was very bad, even if it had some really great wrestling in it. And Drew McIntyre versus Dolph Ziggler was just kind of meh. I wouldn't say it was good or bad one way or the other. The main event is what leaves the ultimate lasting taste in your mouth. I didn't like it. I thought it was the uh, worst of the cinematic matches we have seen so far because it was barely even a match, but we will see where we go from here. I have a feeling it will be The Fiend taking on Braun Strowman to settle the score before too long, whether that's uh, SummerSlam or well, who knows, maybe one of those two guys will catch coronavirus and we won't see them for a little while. You can never tell, especially right now. There were other matches that were announced for the show that got pushed to next week's TV. We're going to see Big Show versus Randy Orton on Raw tomorrow, and Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus in a bar fight has been pushed to Friday's SmackDown as well. You can catch both of those on Sportsnet 360 starting at 5 p.m. on their respective days. That'll do it for us on the big show this evening. Do want to thank all of my callers tonight. My goodness, we've never had more callers. Uh, Jake in Chicago, Scott in North Van, and Phil in Victoria. Fellas, uh, I appreciate you calling in. I appreciate you tuning in. And you can, of course, do it all over again next week when we do this all over. Same bat time, same bat channel every 10 p.m. on Sportsnet 650. I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette until we do this all over again. Keep it locked right here on the home of professional wrestling on the radio in Vancouver. It's Sportsnet 650.